Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I am here with my co-host, Matt Scott. Hello. <laughs> and we're, we're going to talk about some new trucks and yeah, new trucks, new bikes, bunch of stuff. Because you were just in Anzaborego riding the 2022 Ducati Multistrada. I think it is, or 2021, one or the other. Yeah, it was actually the first media launch that I've been on since Defender. Mm. There's been a couple of them that they tried to do and they kept getting canceled. So. Yeah, I, I did the TRX, which we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about talk later. About it. it was kind yeah. of in the middle of one of those little COVID lulls. And a special thanks to our sponsor for today's episode, Off the Grid Surplus. They recently sent Matt and I a few pairs of their new Trailblazer Pro pants, uh, which I think are ideal for international travel, remote exploration, and of course, overlanding. Personally, I like the overall fit of these pants. Uh, They are tailored well. They don't look like you've got a tent wrapped around your waist. And they have four-way stretch as well. They have eight pockets scattered around the waist and the upper thigh. And they even have a mag pocket if you're feeling extra tactical some days. Or you need a spot to store a handheld radio or a multi-tool. They are quick drying, which I think is really important for international travel. That way you can wash them in the sink of the hostel and have them dry by the next morning to continue on with your journey. They are also very lightweight and water resistant, which I think is both an advantage for mixed conditions. And in fact, I think that I've been wearing them so much that my other pants are starting to get jealous. And if you'd like to have your very own pair for the next 30 days, they are offering a 10% off program if you use the code Overland Journal. Thanks again, Off the Grid Surplus. So how big is the motor on that Multistrada? Well, it's a 1200. So, okay. And it's also a totally new motor for the it's Multistrada. It's their V4. Correct. So you have a, the smoothness of a four-cylinder. Yeah. It doesn't have kind of this angry torque of the, of the V-twin, but it, I think it's a much better motorcycle overall. It's the closest that I've seen from Ducati that's not a sport bike with slightly taller tires. It yeah. actually feels completely like an adventure bike. So there was a, a bunch that I liked about it. Of course, the bikes are beautiful. Oh, yeah. And there's there's something about being able to purchase or ride kind of a little bit outside of the norm adventure yeah. bike that I think is very charming. Uh, you know, because sometimes these adventure bike trips, they can just look like the long line of like a press event because they're all the same bike. Yeah. It's a 1200 GS yeah. with climb yeah. and a shoe exactly. birth adventure. Helmet. Exactly. And a bunch of tourist tech gear on it, which there's nothing wrong with any well, of cause that. Because it, it works. Yeah, it right? all works. But it's interesting to see because the GS has always been the target of all of these other manufacturers. The other manufacturers are getting close. And we've seen that with other brands, right? We've seen that with Toyota, where the Toyota has always been the target and the other brands are getting much closer, if not even eclipsing in certain areas. So there's some of the things that I really liked about the Multistrada. It is, it's a rip on the road. I have, I would imagine it was actually the 19 inch front on there is going to help with that quite a bit. Yeah. And it was actually the fastest I've ever driven or ridden anything in my life. (laughs) Um, And I will withhold the actual number. You went upwards of three mile an hour over the California state speed limit. I did. That's right. Yeah. With right within that uh, range where they wouldn't pull me over, but it was incredibly stable at high speed. And then we actually did some real dirt with it. And that was one of the interesting things. A lot of these also ran adventure bikes in the past. They were so street biased that they were pretty careful about putting media on the dirt. This was a real backcountry route, like a, a proper Jeep, yeah. Jeep road with deep sand and decomposed. Posing gra- granite and 
steep climbs and ledges and opportunities even to air the bike out. So there's some big water bars. So that gave me a a pretty good sense for how the bike is off-road. And one of the things that I noticed um, that was most impressive was how well it did in the sand. And there's a couple things that I think contribute to that. The tires are really large, you know, really wide contact patch. You end up with a much bigger tire, which helps with flotation. But then the bike also weighs 474 pounds. That's not really that bad these days. That's right. Which is in some cases, a hundred pounds plus less than an equivalent 1200 from other manufacturers. So it's a much lighter bike, the wide tire it, they use a Pirelli Scorpion rally tire, okay. which is kind of like a TKC 80, yeah. but um, a little bit more effective on the road, a little bit more structure between the lugs. So I actually found on the highway and on the twisties, even at speed, it gave a lot of confidence, but then off-road, it did great, did really well in the sand. It has a counter-rotating crankshaft. So the crankshaft is running at the opposite direction of the wheels, uh, which makes a huge difference in how stable the bike feels overall. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it really made a difference. The other thing that I liked about it is it's a a very centered weight, overall weight mass Um, on like a BMW, for example, you can really feel that forward weighted chassis. So anytime you even lift throttle in the sand, things get a lot more interesting. Yeah. Handlebars go. Yes. Handlebars start going directions. You don't, you don't want them to go, but I actually really, I liked it. It's, it is, let's talk about the things that I loved about it. So the motor is fantastic. 170 horsepower. It's easy to love basically. What is a Ducati superbike motor? It It is. It's the Penegale V4. V4. So it's, it's this, and it's been tuned for adventure. So it's, it's got a lower first gear. It's got a slightly different power band, a little bit more torque. Um, It's got a more relaxed six gear for, you know, cruising on the highway. Yeah. And speaking of cruising on the highway, one of the things that I really liked is it has, it's the first bike I've ever ridden with radar cruise control. Ooh. Actually very interesting how it works. So you, you set the distance and you set it to follow along and we were just, it was even working with other bikes. So small, you know, footprint as far as an eco go or an echo goes small, small footprint to, to see for those radars, but it was working. And all you have to do is just turn on the turn signal and lean a little bit. And it starts to accelerate around automatically. Oh, that's nice. And even coming up to a turn or if everybody's pulling off, the bike starts to slow down. It'll even break to do that. And then it also has rear radar. So if another bike is coming up on you quick and you don't see it in your mirror, or you're in some developing country and you know, here comes a local on a 125 trying to pass you in a corner or whatever, yeah. you actually get on the mirrors, I guess it would be a blind spot blind detection spot monitoring. Yeah. yeah. So it lights up that you do, do you think that that those technologies add to the experience? Like, do they, do they add convenience to riding for you or do they kind of take it away? Cause I feel like moto people are of one of two camps, like ABS is sacrilege to some people, you know, not even a throttle lock is acceptable in some people. Yeah. You know, it, it's just interesting to see these these bikes coming more, uh, more and more Goldwing. I guess I think everybody's right in that regard, and that's not. I'm not trying to just chintz out on the answer. Yeah, no. I think that there are places where you want a KLR, yeah, or there's places that you want a really lightweight, extremely simple bike. What I do find is even more so in the developing world, there are times that the mass and the safety that comes from an adventure bike is actually a real advantage. For example. 
example, when all of the locals are riding a 125 or a smaller, like overall footprint motorcycle, if you're riding something of a similar size, all the local truck drivers, all the locals in cars, they just see you as another local. They don't even notice that you're something different. So they tend to really crowd you on the road. They don't give you a lot of space. I noticed that in smaller bikes in the developing world, you're kind of at the same risk as the other locals. Whereas once you hop on a large displacement, if you're a big human on a big motorcycle, you stand out. And that's something that I like. So it's a better visual impression to everybody on the road. Like, Hey, this is something different. Maybe they give you a little bit of room. And then you've, you found it like when you're in Asia and you're on a scooter and you're trying to pass the the chicken bus, right? (laughs) I mean, the fact that you can breathe on 170 horsepower and be around them faster than you can blink just about uh, 50 cc's doesn't necessarily work when you're six foot three yeah, exactly so so I, I i can attest to the fact that small bike and big person is not the same as big bike big person yeah hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I think that that's a real advantage. I like the safety that comes from all of that technology. When I was uh, riding through Peru and Ecuador and Colombia on the 1200 GS, the fact that I had such effective ABS, lots of rain, lots of really oil on the road, all of that stuff, loose conditions that really make a big difference. Um, But again, that's not to say that you shouldn't go around the world in a simple, small displacement bike. In many ways, I think that's probably better because if you think about it, for the price of a new Multistrada at $24,000, you could buy a KLR and go around the world for just the same price. All of that should be taken into consideration. And arguably the person on the KLR, they're a little less stressed. They don't have as fancy of a bike. If it gets stolen somewhere, you're only out five grand. If it falls over, yeah, you dust it off. Nobody notices the difference. Yeah. Whereas uh, an expensive, complex adventure bike that falls over could result in in a problem. I mean, I, I did have that happen in Colombia. I went down on a 1200 GS and I my boot hit the pentamometer, which is a very small sensor. It hit it, broke it, and I was down. There was... N- just down for the count. Totally down for the count. So they had to go back to Bogota, get a part, bring it back to me as I'm sitting in the middle of the jungle. So again, with everything, there's a compromise. I think it's not good to dismiss a large bike for travel out of hand because there's a bunch of advantage that comes with it. Yeah, I can see that. So here's my test that I use for all adventure bikes. Is it better than a KTM 950 or 990 adventure? (laughs) Does it have more travel? Does it have more power to weight? And is it better off-road? Yeah, no to all of those. It might have better power to weight, yeah, it probably would. It, I think it does. In fact, I yeah, would say at 475, for sure. it, it most certainly would. My 950 is low 400s because I've yeah. taken all of the things off of it, but it's only it's under 100 horsepower. Yeah, but again, I, I've even thought about that because it used to be that that was such a valid comparison because mm-hmm. the adventure bikes weren't all that much better. But now that you've got so much better technology, high readability on the screen, lots of wind protection, lots of reserve capacity and performance, and they keep getting better and better off-road, I think that that margin is dwindling a little bit. Yeah. And and that's something that I definitely needed to take into consideration. Like a lot has changed. Yeah. So... And that's what's exciting. It's exciting to see manufacturers now bringing to market true GS fighters. Yeah that really make people start to think, do I want this beautiful red motorcycle instead of something else? Yeah. And I mean, I I think the interesting thing with Ducati is I want to say they did that, that Multistrada Enduro that had the 21 inch front, um, was had, had some more off-road features. So I wonder, we'll see, we'll see something that's even more adventure 
I, I think it's coming. I actually, what I would love to see would be their 950 with that full kind of off-road enduro package. One thing just for the listener, because we don't want to just talk about the positives. There was a couple little items that I did notice their traction control algorithm was not suitable for off-road. So even if you were in the least invasive um, selection for traction control, way too much intervention. So it would actually result in a failed hill climb fairly easily if you weren't careful. So I had to go full traction control off. So hopefully Ducati addresses that. Um, They have a one to 10, you know, that one that they have now needs to be about their five and one needs to allow for a lot of wheel spin because when you're riding off road and you traction control has a ton of advantages um, because you can't overspin the rear tire, but the fact that it just shuts you down so quickly, it's a problem. I I have no idea about off-road traction control motorcycles. My main ride is a trials bike. Yeah, there you it go. It does not have a seat. <laughs> but I mean, With no radar, no, no radar cruise control, <laughs> no, no, no seat, no electric start. I don't know. But what a great place to learn. I, I like it. Yeah. Yes. Those are sweet. I need to get out there with you on one of those. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so, so if you were to give it a, a, a rating out of 10, it's definitely the best multistrata that they've brought into market. The refinement is so much more improved. The quality of everything, even the ser- service interval is 36,000 miles That's on, the, on the valves. You could ride around the world. Yeah. yeah. So you could go around the world without a valve adjustment. So that's a big deal. I would say it's probably seven and a half, eight out of 10. Okay. Uh, it's really, it's really a big improvement. And I, I can't think of a single adventure bike. That's a 10 out of 10. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, of everything that you've ridden, cause you've ridden quite a, pretty much all of these new bikes. Right. Um, what do you think it most closely competes with? I mean, is it something that could unseat the 1200 GS? Um, you know, motorcycles are so tribal that yeah. people that buy GSs tend to buy more GSs. So that's the thing that's difficult is to is for people to actually change brands. That doesn't happen very often. But I would say that if you look at off-road performance, it's as good as the standard 1250. It's not as good as the Adventure. The Adventure has a little bit more wheel travel and it has much better uh, traction control and ABS systems. Um, so I would say it's it probably is closest to the GS. The KTMs will be that much better off-road. So if you were to look at a 1090 or an 1190 or mm-hmm. a 1290, uh, those bikes are so much more suited for the dirt and they're set up for that. Well, yeah. that's, that's fascinating. And it's... <laughs> And it's, and it's beautiful and it's right? beautiful and it's orange and it's Italian and yeah, it's, it's, it just stirs your soul. And it really, it really does. I mean, it, uh, it was absolutely insane to ride on the road. Yeah. Way faster than I should have been riding. Well, that's what they're for. <laughs> that's why you have Hence 170 the of the horsepowers. Exactly. But, well, I was driving the TRX a few months ago and like, I always feel like I have to preface this car because it, every time I say, Oh, well, you know, I was reviewing this vehicle. Oh, well, that's not an Overland vehicle. Well, it's cheaper pretty much than, you know, starting price, $71,000. People are spending that all day long. Like, look around. The dude that's doing your tile has a pickup truck that's more expensive than that. Sure. So I think, like, value for money, boy, it's a hoot. I mean, that thing does 0 to 60. They claim 4.5. I thought it was a little bit faster than that. You know, some people have actually, like, done, like, actual testing as low as 3.7 seconds in a pickup truck. But I don't know. I mean, like, I think the thing is that 702 horsepower sounds absolutely crazy right now. It's going to be slower than the Cybertruck. It's going to be slower than the Rivian. It's going to be slower than the Hummer EV that's coming out. This is our first, it's our first opportunity to see what this much, you know, usable power is going to be like in a half ton platform because so much stuff is going. I mean, power, we, we have won the power game. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't and doesn't know. it, doesn't it seem that I guess my first point would be there's nothing wrong with just having more fun while yeah. you're traveling. It's really fun and it's really great inside. Um, you know, 1310 pounds of payload. So, um, I want to say that's like a hundred or 120 pounds more than a, than a Ford Raptor. But where, where I will qualify that is you get the panoramic sunroof, you get the cooled seats, you, you step up into the higher tiered spec packages and you, it seems to me that you end up pretty much at the same place as the Raptor. Sure. I do prefer the way that the TRX drives having owned a Raptor. Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a Raptor. What did you like more about the TRX? It, it felt more solid. Um, you know, the, the Raptor was a phenomenal vehicle. It was fun. It's still, in my opinion, one of the best grand touring cars money could buy. Uh, it goes down the highway at whatever speed you want with four people passed out in it. And it just, it doesn't really care. But the TRX was has, has a nicer interior. I think the exterior styling details are, they're, they're just nicer. The interior is a beautiful place to be. I mean, it is really quiet. You get dual pane glass on the windshield and the, the side windows, which- wow. Yeah, that laminated glass really is a. Uh, it's it's interesting because you used to see that stuff in Rolls Royce, Bentley, S Class, Mercedes, but now that technology is starting to dwindle down. And I think that that's the fascinating thing with the TRX is you're going to start to see those those technologies dwindle down. I thought the suspension, frankly, was better for road use. Um, I thought it was better for you know kind of rugged off road use. Um, I thought that the Raptor was always a bit jarring and you know kind of I, I call them like the baby head rocks and so it was more busy. Just it was a little bit more busy, but you know, that that's a five link coil sprung rear end versus leaf springs, but it does, you know, go to say that now Ford has up the ante with the Raptor and they have a, you know, a five link coil sprung rear end in that too. Um, I think it, I think it, again, you're talking about tribalism. This is something for the Ram tribe. Yeah. I, I personally think if you blindfolded people and drove them back to back and had them touch the interior and had them actually drive it, I think most people would, would prefer the Ram Ford Ford to me. I don't know. Well, let me say this Ram feels more premium to me. Everything you touch, everything you feel, it's just, there's designers going through it where Ford to me feels like engineers and accountants have gone through it. Sure. Y- you open the door handle on a Ford product and there's like a little seam seal from, from the injection molding. They, they feel a little bit more tinny compared sure. to the, to the Ram. And I have a Ford product too. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not brand biased necessarily. You know, people always compare them obviously, but the TRX is more of a system. I think is, is kind of the way Scott Brown described it to me from FCA or Stellantis. I just don't want to call it Stellantis. I, I feel like it's like a lost, the lost city of Stellantis, it's like an Atlantic city discount casino or something. <laughs> Terrible name. I think if you're going to go down to Baja and, you know, beat up a truck, I'd maybe take a Raptor. Cause it just seems like the aftermarket will have more potential with that vehicle. I don't know if you could put 37s on a TRX. Sure. It would probably ruin it. You know, some more supercar, super trucky in that aspect, but it's just so fun to drive. And I think the thing that really makes it is that Bilstein suspension. People are all of a sudden really concerned with that diameter of their shocks. So it, it doesn't have like the three inch diameter shocks that the Raptor has or the 12 inch diameter shocks that I'm sure that people are putting on their trucks to go down the Mojave road these days, but they adjust so quickly. And they're actually, you know, I want to say it's a thousand pounds of dampening force or more that they can actually apply within milliseconds. Wow. So, you know, they have this like jump detection thing, which they were a little bit cagey about calling it that with lawyers around. But, sure. you know, this was an interesting vehicle because they put us out on the short course at Wild Horse Motorsports Park outside of Reno. Ha- have at it. Like there was somebody in the right seat kind of telling you what to do, but they were making sure you weren't. I mean, th- this is a truck that could do 120 mile an hour on the front straight if you want it to. 
you don't want to hit two foot whoops yeah. doing that. But I was impressed with how quickly the suspension could, could change. I mean, you know, they're factoring in steering angle, they're factoring in wheel speed vertically. Sure. You know, there, there's a lot going on to the system and to be able, it was just so composed. Like, it, you know, you'd kind of get off a jump and what felt to me like I was, you know, Napoleon dynamite, like 12 <laughs> feet in the air. I was probably like six inches or something. Um, like desert races are probably looking like you call that air. It, it was it was interesting just to see how quickly the system that is that suspension worked. It was it was fascinating, and and you know we're going to start seeing that stuff. Those are drop in technologies, sure. And what that tells me to see that from FCA or Stellantis, it's not going to be long until we see that on a Gladiator or on a twenty five hundred or on a Wrangler. Um, and I'm really really excited for that because I really do think that that adaptive suspension, uh, particularly at an OE level, um, that's one of the technologies that I walked away from the TRX saying that's going to be yeah interesting. That is the next game changer to be able to let's say you you know you have a roof tent on your Jeep and the vehicle's leaning into turns. Well, it's going to actually know what's going on and it has those you know I mean I, I know that the the Gladiator for example already has the, the little suspension height sensors ready to go because I think they share a component with the 1500 but th- this will just be interesting to see what that active suspension and where that will go yeah that makes a lot of sense i just a few weeks ago i was testing out the sdi suspension which looks super e- fascinating e- e-click and it worked exactly as you described so you can you can dial in the increased payload it has an imu on it it knows when the vehicle is light is light because it's come off of a g out or maybe even a jump it knows when it's got got a heavy roof load and it starts to adjust automatically for that. And I think that that's coming and it, and it does make a big difference in safety. Yeah. Cause I mean, right now I feel like, you know, suspension tuning is an art, but to a degree that shim stack that you're putting together and, and how the, how it's valved, it, it is to some degree guesstimating, right? Right. You're, you're trying to get one solution that works for a variety of solutions where now you have, if you're, if your range is one to 10, you're, you're picking the five. Now you have the ability with these these new technologies to have a one and then milliseconds later have a 10. And and yeah, that is awesome. really, really fascinating. I know that there's active suspension on, I want to say on the 19 and up Raptors, but that's more of a definitive valving change. I, I felt that this was more active. Yeah, it was interesting that Multistrada, as an example, had the same thing. And it the bike knew when you were in the air, and it would go like, because it only has 7.1 inches of suspension yeah. travel in the front. So we go full stiff. It soaked up some pretty good jumps. Fairly well, well, but the, the the point there being is, you know, maybe as with the Multistrada, where I was kind of comparing, is it better than the 950? Well, the 950 has to has to deal with choosing number five out of a one to ten scale. Right. Having something that's smart enough to be able to dynamically adjust, that's pretty cool. It is, and it lets you get away with, in my mind, a little bit less suspension travel. Yeah. Because it's so adaptive. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, the te- yeah, the technologies are really interesting. And I think I think it's easy. And myself, I mean, just to admit freely, I remember looking at the Raptor initially with a little bit of like even honestly disdain because I'm thinking people shouldn't be out driving that fast on these public roads and all of that. And the reality is, is even if you drove at the same speed, you're going to be more fresh. You're going to have more in the tank. If something happens like a deer juts out in the road, you're going to have more capability and performance. I mean, it's the individual owner. It's their responsible to be, it's their responsibility to be responsible overlanders and not tear up the backcountry. But it is kind of interesting. 
interesting that you can have that much performance. And if you pack light, it can actually be a lot of fun. You know, I, I, I loved my Raptor, you know, I sold it cause the gladiator came out and I, that was just like boys dream, you know, it was a Jeep Wrangler pickup truck. Right. Exactly. I, I, I wanted it, but you know, we, we had a swag that we threw in the back, um, in the later, you know, period of that truck, I had to go fast camper on it. And that was a really good fit. Cause it was pretty light. It allowed us to sleep in there with the dog. Um, it was a little bit more comfortable and it, I think it weighed 300 something pounds. So sure. it was two adults camping gear and all that stuff. It was completely within the realm of that. And you know, the, the interesting thing, I think when you get into any kind of performance vehicle is there are a plethora of spring options out there. So if you want to get a Deaver that is designed to carry 500 pounds more payload, well, you know that the, you know, the, the frame of the F-150, while the Raptor has maybe a thousand pound payload, as generally outfitted, that same vehicle is capable of 3000 pound payload. Yeah. I've seen close to 3000. So a lot of it, in my opinion, was down to spring rates. Obviously when you're going fast, you don't want a crazy heavy spring rate, but if you have a spring rate, that's commensurate to the amount of weight that you have in there. There's actually a dude lawn dart design on Instagram that has built a like really interesting Raptor on 37s with a little bit more power. He goes down to Baja all the time and you know, he's, he's actually looked at it as a, as a complete package. You know, it, has the spares. It has all the overlandy stuff. It has a fridge. It has everything, but it's kind of within that payload and, and it, and it rips, man. That's clever. Yeah. They're, they're, they're just fun. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think the cool thing of where overlanding's gone, in my opinion, when you say the term overlanding to somebody, they now just think car with roof tent. It, it doesn't evoke global traveler. It doesn't evoke international travel as much as it's uh, maybe a point of frustration for me. That's gone. So why not? Why not have a embrace any variant, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's fascinating to me. Well, and if, if it gets people outdoors and it they're able to spend time with their family and go have an experience, then there's certainly no harm in it. And and I think where this leads with the TRX and with the F-150 Raptor is these are like the half ton American pickup truck for, for whatever reason just has never really been embraced. You know, if you look, if you look abroad and all the people that like the 70 series and drive the 70 series there, they're probably looking at F-150s and Raptors and TRXs and the things that we get here for, you know, relatively little amounts of money. Sure. I mean, a, a 70 series, in Australia costs more, you know, with roll up windows and a, you know, I don't even know if they have a center console. <laughs> they cost more than a loaded Raptor does. Yeah. They're expensive. So, you know, value for money. I, I mean, that's an, that's an entirely different podcast is why isn't the American half ton pickup truck, the choice of overlanders. It's, you know, I, I had an engine blow in my earth roamer. Um, well, maybe, maybe that's why it's not the choice of overlanders, but um, I, I had an engine blow in that. And, you know, the, the reassuring thing after we got it repaired is if we had an issue, there is a Ford dealer like hiding around every corner. Sure. I mean, it's just, it's just there. You know, we, we actually kind of went and made a, made a map of, of all the Ford dealers um, for our Alaska Yukon trip this year. And they're everywhere. I mean, like these tiny towns, there's a Ford dealer, there's a Chevy dealer, there's a Ram dealer. You might not find a Toyota dealer. You're certainly not finding a place to service your Sprinter. Yep. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Well, and you've also talked about that this is kind of the swan song of the internal combustion yeah. engine. That was your quote, actually. And maybe that's part of it is we get that 392 Wrangler. We get, mm-hmm. the, you know, we get these 700 horsepower Rams. That might be it. That might be that we're looking for the next decade as electric vehicles become more and more relevant and in many cases, better a better choice that we'll see these really kind of high strung very fun internal combustion vehicles. Yeah. And that's great. I know. And I think that that applies then to the EVs in the future is, well, most cars are going to have this power. Yeah. So, you know, 
as we were talking, like I, I, when the Buick Grand National came out, I'm sure people were like, cars can't get any faster. Yeah. What? No. And then like a Honda Odyssey is faster than it now. That's just technology and progression. So, so it's interesting to see the TRX. I really look at it. It's a wonderful car. It's really well made. Um, it's like super quiet inside aside from the supercharger wine, which is exactly how it should be. <laughs> you want, that's what you want. That's exactly hear. what you want. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a, it's interesting. It's a, it, to me, it was almost a technology demonstrator of like, here's the stuff that's going to come to everything else. Mm. And now we're starting to see the 392 Wrangler. Yeah. Pretty our, exciting. Our buddy, Mike McMod already, uh, he has one on order, has one on order. So I can't wait to respectfully drive it and not do a burnout. <laughs> yeah. I think that'll be tough. Wink. Yeah. So let's go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Let's go to the Royal Enfield 650 Interceptor. Okay. The, 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 the complete opposite end of both spectrums. It is. That's 47 horsepower. Ooh, 47. Yeah. That's a huge improvement. Yeah. So, and it's a, it's a 650. So it's a bigger Royal Enfield. The reason why I want to talk about this bike on this podcast, again, is to contrast the Multistrada and maybe some of these other things that we're discussing. Something like a Royal Enfield can get serviced many places in the world. They make squillions of them in Asia, particularly in India. They're very charming. It, it's got this old- they fun. Yeah. They're, they're one of those things that it's classless. Like they're just- Totally Anybody works. can ride one. They're just, they're a happy motorcycle. Like you see a Royal Enfield and you're never like they don't look they look classy i think they look um i think royal enfields have always been a i I think they have good design right they're they're, they do because they haven't changed it i think that was the smart thing is don't try to update it just keep making them look exactly the same, which yeah. makes them even more charming into the future. Uh, and one of the things that I really like about it, you're talking about spending less than $6,000 on a brand new motorcycle with ABS fuel injection, you know, 47 horsepower, yeah. you know, and it's relatively comfortable to ride. It's got enough power that you can actually go on interstate speeds. But the thing that came to my mind is, you know, you could throw a couple bags on the thing and you could take off down to the middle of mainland Mexico and you could have a very inexpensive trip, a, a unique trip too. Sure. you know, like I, what, what fascinates me about that motorcycle is, you know, with, when we were talking about the Multistrada, we use the KLR as an example. That's always the, the go-to it's the Tacoma of the adventure motorcycle space. Yes, absolutely. Um, but there are options. There are yeah. other options and it's cool. I think with motorcycles, we get more of those. Um, it's easier for them to qualify for EPA standards and there's obviously less stringent, stringent DOT crash safety standards standards because sure. well it's a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um yeah, that's I'd I'd love to. I've always wanted to do India north yeah, to south. Right? Like and I like the fact that it's a little bit bigger. I've ridden the 500 bullet and some of the other ones that are like that and you know I'm a fairly big guy and it's yeah. just it feels uncomfortably small whereas this felt just right. It felt a lot like my Moto Guzzi V7. It rode really nice. Yeah. It was fun on the twisties. It's not a, it's, you know, the chassis flexes a bit. It's it, a standard motorcycle, it, right? Like, it like is. as in definition, like it's totally. kind of, it, it's like a Yamaha XS650 or a Bonneville or something that standard classification. Totally. They're really cool. And I think any, I noticed that, you know, wherever you stop, there was conversations around the bike, but in this, in this very charming way, like not, Oh, look at this very expensive, 
fancy motorcycle, but oh, my grandpa had one of those. Or, yeah, it elicits positive interactions. It, it really does. And it gets fairly good fuel economy. It has ABS, which I think is actually a really important thing for travelers to consider because the world is full of surprises. And, yeah, and, and people are really distracted. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'll be honest, I don't ride on the road that much anymore because every there's 5 million Kias doing 100 mile an hour on the highway now with While people texting, texting yeah. and cars are just fast. They are. So it's, it's, it's interesting to have those things. So I really think that that's a motorcycle that will continue to do well in the marketplace. I like the fact that it's old school. I like the fact that it's inexpensive. And they're still made in India, right? They are. That's cool. I think it's super cool. Yeah. So yeah, that was a really fun one. It was, I was kind of sad to see that one go. Yeah. That was really a fun bike to have for the couple months that we had it. We did a fun little video. You can go onto our Expedition Portal YouTube channel and check that out. We did some some video review on that as well. And then we talking about value propositions, we got one more truck. To yeah. Yeah. So if we're balancing multi-strata with Royal Enfield and TRX. Let's talk about something that's equally as ancient as an Enfield. And let's talk about the 15-year-old 2022 Nissan Frontier. Sorry, I had to say it. Like this this car looks great. Uh, it looks so good. It, aesthetically, it looks really good. There's a lot of details of it that we like that we'll get into. But I, what, what was frustrating for me is in, it was 2013 or 2014 when I was running unsealed four by four in Australia, I was at the press launch for the D23 Navara. And I was told this is going to come to the US. And it was one of the best chassis in that class that I've ever driven because it had a five link rear end it had four wheel discs. It had a really peppy little diesel engine, which obviously we wouldn't get here. You know, it was good enough that Mercedes actually used that as the basis for their X class. So that means it met all of their NVH, all of their quality standards, all their durability testing to put a Mercedes badge on it. And, you know, I was told that that was going to come here and not that I'm like mad about that. I mean, th- that doesn't matter, but it's, it's, it's interesting to me. And, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head is that Nissan looks to Toyota. That's their, that's their competitor. So but Toyota is so far behind. Yeah. So it just puts Nissan oftentimes further behind. Although there are a bunch of things that they did with the new 2022 Frontier that are, in my mind, an improvement over the Tacoma. So you're at 310 horsepower yeah, and you have a nine speed transmission, which is three more speeds than the Tacoma. So you're going to end up with a much lower first gear and you're going to be able to better utilize that 310 horsepower throughout the drivability range because uh, you're just going to have more cogs available to keep yeah. it keep it in the power band. Yeah, I mean, it, it it does make me, I think that the Tacoma as a as a platform is, it's good, can't fault it. But you can fault the performance and driving experience of yep. it, and, and I think that's where the the frontier will really be interesting. Personally, I think it looks better than the Tacoma. I think the Tacoma. There's just so many Tacomas out there. And it's, yeah, that's true. Maybe that's what it is. Because yeah. the Tacoma, I think, is a handsome. It, it, it's handsome. It looks. And there's some great aftermarket components that really improve the overall look. But once you start to add those things that make them look more adventure you're over payload. So. Yeah. Yeah. And this thing has a max payload of 1,610 pounds, which is significant. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that that's like a long bed, two-wheel drive manual window, two-wheel drive yeah, thing. Sure. Um, but you pulled up 1,400 pounds for, for the, the Pro 4X. Yeah. Which is. It's still 300 pounds more than the equivalent TRD. Yeah, that's that's significant. Um, you so know, twenty five percent improvement in payload. That's notable. Yeah, starts at twenty eight thousand dollars. Loaded just under forty. Um, so cheaper than a TRD. Yep. Cheaper than a Gladiator. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating. You know, there. It's weird to me that they're still using a chassis that 
is from 2005. I wonder if there's just something that we maybe there's not just a, don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe that's yeah, it. You know, it's crash testing or some crazy thing that would have made it so much more expensive to bring here. I don't know. You know, they they build D23 Navara, which Navara Frontier, just essentially the same truck, different names for different markets. They build that in Spain. They build it in Mexico. I mean, we're here in Arizona, and I see Nissan Navaras with the five link rear end here. Um, so I mean, maybe they want to keep it built in the United States. I think that that's cool. So it could have been a tooling issue. Yeah. I really don't know. It's like, I wouldn't want to, you know, the one, the 2005 one, iPod. The one real advantage of leaf spring rear end is that it, it has a broader range of payload where it mm. performs properly. A coil spring, even if it's progressive, there's a much tighter range of payload where it performs well. Yeah. Um, whereas a leaf spring by the nature of its design, the more weight you add to it, the more leaves it engages. Yeah. So it's it's very progressive throughout the entire travel range. So maybe it's just something as simple as but, that. But you but, can make a coil spring rear end carry a lot of payload. I mean, the Ram 2500, for example, yeah, that no has question. upwards of 4,000 pounds of payload when properly equipped. Yeah. And you could put a Nissan Frontier in the back of it. Yeah. And it sure. still works. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I just, I have a little bit of a beef with that because that I would like to have the seen bones the of a car are its chassis. And to, to now be on the third generation of a vehicle that is wearing, I want to say third generation on that frame. I think so. Yeah. 2005. Yeah, that's just seems a bit lazy to me. Not not to dwell on it, but yeah, um, they did a lot of great things. Um, they're improving the ride quality of that vehicle through things like hydraulic body mounts. They're saying an 80 percent reduction in you know kind of vibrations, noise, vibration, harshness coming through that into the chassis and that laminated acoustic glass that I was talking about in the Ram TRX, which not too long ago was something you could only really find in really expensive vehicles. That's right. in the that's in the frontier now, so that's really cool. I think it looks great. I'm sure it'll have like I, I've seen Nissan usually does those really kick in front fender does their, does their, their yeah, sound sure. systems. Cause they're both right. based in Tennessee. Sure. You know, like that's, that's really cool. It's, I do like a, the fact that it's a nine speed. I like the fact that the payload is in that 1400 pound range with the full off-road package. Cause that um, leaves you a solid thousand pounds <clears throat> after people. Yeah. Couple of close. Yeah. Full 32 inch diameter tire rear locking differential. So in that regard, I think, <clears throat> I think that there's some benefits. I would have really liked to have seen that five link we're in because it, it would have just been different yep. you know it would have it would have been well, i guess the gladiator would be the only one that has a, a coil sprung rear end in that segment in that segment yeah um but the gladiator is a different one gladiators like i know that it's in that segment but i don't necessarily like but you can get a gladiator to your point you can get a gladiator with 1700 pound payload yeah with a coil sprung and you can go end. and get like five or six grand off of a gladiator. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember when I tried to buy a, one of the Nissan Titans with that Cummins, um, I could get $12,000 off any of the domestic diesels or I could pay sticker for the Nissan. Yeah. So like their, their pricing to me has always seemed a little bit weird. Like when we had that Tundra, um, I, I thought the drive line was really great on it. Oh, that also had the nine speed, but yeah. it had the endurance V8 in it. Yeah. Great drive line. I mean, these are the people that do the GTR, um, but it was overpriced for what it was. Like you couldn't find them. You could get a King Ranch F-150 for what mm. you could get a mid spec. And it just Nissan must, for. it must come down to volume. I mean, they're making so many F-150s that yeah. they just get some economy of scale that I don't know how you could ever, which yeah. will be interesting. The new, the new Tundra is in the wings. We know it's coming out literally any moment, yeah. maybe even by the time this podcast goes live. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what the new Tundra yeah. hopefully, but hopefully the frame is not noodling. aesthetics 
of the frontier. Really, really nice. I think I I think I'm partial to the gladiator, but I think if I took that out of the basket, I would say it's currently the best looking mid-sized truck on the market. And the Nissan Frontier has become the most reliable mid-sized truck in the United States. Uh, incredibly reliable platform, yeah. which is what a lot of people look towards Nissan's for. So if you if you want a modern mid-sized truck that kind of has a little bit of an international feel and really good reliability, this could be a good bet. Yeah, I think they're I think they're honest trucks. Love that they have a you know 310 horsepower. You know that motor is going to be reliable. Yeah. Now you just recently uh, made a new acquisition for a pickup. Yeah. Oh, we're talking about that one. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm, I'm doing an AV prospector XL. Um, I'm going to kind of consolidate a few, a few of our, uh, show vehicles for adventure imports. Cause we're not doing shows during COVID. You know, we had, I guess, kind of hoped that that would change, but it looks like we're realistically into the end of this year before, before that happens. I say that and I'll go back and listen to this in 2025 and we'll still be in it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really excited for that. I absolutely love that truck so it far. It looks so good. Um, so I got a I got a 2500 Laramie, and it has like the level two Laramie package. It has the cool seats and kind of Alcantara ish textured leathers on the inside. Like the thing that I like about it is it doesn't really pickup trucks either look work or they look old man with yeah. the chrome and weird dual colored. Sure. There, there's some weird things. This is just an attractive, youthful truck to me. Totally. Um, I got the 12 inch screen. It's great. That Cummins. Um, this is the first time I've owned a Cummins. Um, and uh, how do you like it compared to the power stroke? Well, like I've had two of the six sevens and I definitely think that 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 the six, seven power stroke, it feels more powerful because, because it is, but the Cummins is more of the diesel you want. It's, it's a special motor. The six, seven to me doesn't feel particularly special. It is an immensely complex engine. You know, it has two cooling systems. It has like this, depending on if you have a cabin chassis model or a pickup model, you know, it has some weird turbos and a lot of failure points. Like you cannot work on, you have to remove the cab to work on it. When we had the engine replaced in the earth roamer, it was a, the entire front end of the vehicle had to come off where this feels like a big Jeep. And I, Oh, there's the injection pump. There's the turbo to the other side. You could work on it. You could know if something was wrong. Sure. It's not buried beneath a bunch of stuff. And there's just something to it. Like how it makes the power is really fascinating. It, it feels more trucky. Well, and it seems like because you can get this AEV package, it seems like that's the reason to buy a Ram is because you can get this amazing yeah. AEV modification set that completely changes the vehicle. I, I, I probably would have bought a tremor had I not walked into the local dealer and they said, oh, you want that? Okay. Yeah. Well that's sticker plus $10,000. And I just laughed at them because that's like shocks I'm going to take off and yeah. yay a Torsen front end. Yeah. Cool. Didn't even have a winch. It was like the the, the cheapest uh, Tremor Super Duty you could spec and they wanted 10 grand over it. So I walk right to my buddy Jeff at, I think it's York Dodge up here and sure. just got a no BS price. You know, I think I got eight or eight grand off on it or something. It looks so, it looks so good. But I, you. but, but yeah, I, I bought it because of the AEV thing. I, yeah, I wonder it. how many Rams are sold because of AEV. <laughs> like, 
I, I certainly, in, in, our, in our audience. I, I mean. certainly know quite a few people. That's why they're buying Rams is because yeah. they have these OE level, you know, properly engineered, properly validated accessories that they can put on the vehicles and not ruin them. When I built that a few years back, I built a 2016 Super Duty with the 6.7. And it was nice. I put the ARB bumper on it. I did Icon suspension and wheels. Um, I did a long range tank, but it was kind of like you're taking the best from over here, the best from over here, a pinch of this, a pinch of that. And you kind of end up with something that works kind of yeah. Um, where the AEV stuff just, it's, it's all engineered as a system. Yeah. So it's, you know, it starts at $17,000, which, which sounds like a lot, but try a good Carly system and then try a good, you know, buck stop bumper and then try putting forties on that with fenders and, and all this stuff that's never meant to work together. And then the resale value, you can get a good deal on the truck. You can do these upgrades and, you know, I don't know. That's always something that I, that I heavily consider. Cause I do like oh, to, with how often you sell cars. Well, I, I, I yeah, but I, I do that. No, because it makes I, sense. Like why I, not protect your investment? But I, but I buy and sell the cars before they, they fall off the cliff, sure. right? I get, I get my use out of them. I, I enjoy building them. It's a marketing tool for, for adventure imports. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I like it. I think that's a great look. It's I'm, I'm really excited for it. I mean, basically the plan is throw the AEV book at it. I'm going to do probably the twin Titan tanks because I'm going to, they have this really cool spare 38 gallons or something. And it literally goes in where the, the factory spare is. And then you fill it from inside the bed and you end up with 90 or a hundred gallons between the two. That's and awesome. you know, if I ever want to like drive to Cabo and back without fueling up. Yeah. Well, I mean with questionable ultra low sulfur diesel in Baja, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it'll be an interesting, Oh, that'll be a fun one. It'll be an interesting project. We're obviously going to be doing some content on that with AEV and uh, you know, kind of walking through the process of actually buying one of these um, and, and hashtag not sponsored, but yeah, not sponsored. We're, we're, you know, like AV was kind enough to offer like an industry discount in the same way that we've offered them industry discounts on our products. But yeah, we're, I'm, truthfully, I'm just passionate about that AEV stuff. It's always been a, it's been a pinnacle thing for me. And yeah. when you buy land cruisers and gladiators and the, the vehicles I've had, they maintain their value. So it's like, I've just had these successive savings accounts, Yeah, which not is not a really bad fun. way to do it. That you can yeah. have fun with. Yeah. If you can, why not? <laughs> exactly. So. That's exciting. Look forward to seeing how that comes along. We'll put put together some content. Yeah, well. I'm 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 really looking forward to it. It's just an easy truck to drive. I couldn't believe it when you let me drive it. It was awesome. It's really smooth. I mean, I guess they're kind of calling this the Gen Four and a half of that truck because it shares quite a bit in common with the Gen Four, which I want to say was 2013 to. 2018 or something, but you know, it's a redesigned engine, same, same concept, but compacted graphite block. Our, our friend, mutual friend, Mario Donovan from AT Overland, he is like a Ram fanatic. And I was standing next to his truck and it, it was just considerably louder. His are all AEV built considerably louder than this truck. So it is nearly luxurious to ride in. Oh, it was drive sure. in. the quality of materials was impressive. And, and that's why I'm just such a big fan of Ram these days. Like, again, I, I, I have the Ford, I have the Ram. And when I look at them, the Ram is just more premium. It's just more put together. Everything feels a little bit thicker. Everything feels a little bit more purposeful. Like, like somebody who was designing it actually used it. Whereas the Ford guys, it's like, maybe they have some engineers in the desert, but they don't really let them out of Michigan or something. <laughs> I, I, I don't really know, but they, they feel different. Yeah, um, sure. 
it feels more like a truck. It feels more purposeful. And that's why I decided to go with it. That's why you spent your money on it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, so that'll be an exciting project and we appreciate everyone for listening and catching everyone up on our, on our recent escapades with the new vehicles. So it'll be interesting to actually get our hands on a frontier and we'll report back on how that goes when we do. And other than that, we will talk to you next time. Take care.